Last year wasn't too bad. This year started out on a bumpy road. I'm gonna need a lot more than street smarts to crack these cases. These New Year mysteries. Deep down inside, everyone searches for success. I guess you call it the seduction of success. It's what keeps me up at night. The insatiable desire, a lust for power. But for what? You know, our mission here at Potential Church is to partner with people to reach their God potential. In other words, to be everything that God's created them to be, uh, for them to succeed. I mean, when you think about it, all the things that we do, that is the reason in which we do them. is so that you can, whether your marriage, your finances, those kind of areas. And from time to time, we, we want to show you stories. You know, it's a lot easier to, to trust God, at least for me it is, when I see someone else uh, model that, step out, and uh, do that. So we have a, a story I wanted to share with you from our campus in uh, Lima, Peru. So let's watch this together. I grew up in a middle-class family here in Peru, where the cost of living was high and we struggled to advance. But I was always determined to make it and not have this life. So I focused all my efforts on having the best job I could, and now I do. I've got a great position and everything is good, or so I thought. I ended up meeting Evelyn, a coworker of mine, and she would always talk about church this, church that. She would invite me to join, but I was always too busy. Until finally one day, I accepted her invite to potential church. So I visited and was sitting down in service. And the sermon was about our connection with God and how we need to learn to trust Him with everything in our lives, to trust that He has a plan for us that is good and perfect. In that moment, I felt empty. I realized I needed God. I realized I had material things. I had perceived success, but had nothing really. And that day, Pastor Troy said, I'd like anyone who would like to make the decision to trust God as their savior to raise their hands. And I felt that touch, a piece that I've never felt before. That day, I decided that I would follow God, and I surrendered my life to Him. It's been amazing ever since, so much peace. I've been working less hours, yet making more, go figure. I've made friends and people I trust. I'm finding these joys in life that I hadn't before. I'm good, I'm at peace, and I don't know what will happen in my future because now I have peace and I'm happy because God is with me. Well, that's the mystery we want to talk about, the uh, success. What does it look like and uh, uh, how do you experience it? 
Did you guys notice that the market this week broke 20,000? Did you see that? The Dow Jones, for the first time in history, went over 20,000, which is a pretty cool deal if you've got uh, money in stocks. Now, I really don't know much at all about the Dow Jones, and, uh, but I do know this. They tell us, right, what goes up must what? come down, right? We've been told that all our lives. So it's kind of an incredible culture in which we live in. You don't really know what to celebrate. When things are down, that's not good. But when they go up, well, of course, they could come down. It's kind of like the Super Bowl. They're going to have these footballs, and they're going to they're gonna throw them, and whatever goes up must come down, right? Good try. Let's I'll watch it. Oh! Ma'am, he did it. Right there. Uh, it's dangerous all right right what goes up must come oh nice that's you know what all the services that's the first time we've anybody's actually caught one now let's see if you can throw it oh left-handed sitting down good throw all right that's awesome what goes up must come down and so I've been thinking about that this week I know it's true of course in athletics, whether it be a basketball, a baseball, or a football, what goes up must come down. And um, Sports Illustrated did a little research when it comes to success, and they looked at some of the athletes. And what they discovered is when it comes to NFL, we have the Super Bowl coming up, 78% of NFL players, two years after they retire, they declare bankruptcy. Um, 78% of them do, which is a pretty incredible number when you think about it. In the NBA, it's a little different. It's 60% of NBA players, uh, five years after they retire, either declare bankruptcy or going through, uh, Sports Illustrated said, uh, incredible pressure of, of finance. Now, it's not because necessarily the athletes are bad. I, I remember talking. We had a, a a basketball player that was attending the church years ago. At one time, he was the number one draft in the NBA, and he made over his career $60 million. At one time, um, he had um, just regular expenses of $41,000 each month. He had eight different automobiles. He said that, you know, he had eight to $10,000 every month just as hangout money. Um, and he had carried around three dollars to $5,000 to give to friends and family. Well, I was talking to him around 2005. That's when he declared bankruptcy. And I remember going to his, going to his home. It was a, a, a rental home. It um, was very small, um, not well taken care of by whoever had been in it before. There was, the furniture was very, very sparse. And he was having a difficult time finding the job that, that, he, that he wanted. And and it just reminded me that what goes up so often must come down. But it's not just true of athletes. Uh, have you guys ever heard of an actor by the name of, uh, let's see, Bella Lugosi? You guys know who I'm talking about? Bella Lugosi? He was an actor in the 1950s. You remember what role he's famous for? Dracula. <sighs> Right? He played all those monster movies, and he died at the age of 73. He was addicted to morphine and methadone. He had been married five different times, and he died alone and penniless. He went up, and he came down. 
How about Sammy Davis Jr.? Some of you might remember him. He was a part of the Rat Pack, Frank Sinatra, and all the boys. It said he made $50 million during his career, and when he died in 1990, he was in debt for $15 million. And then you've probably heard of Michael Jackson, uh, incredibly talented, successful. He made the, uh, reportedly over a billion dollars, but when he died, he was in debt uh, it was reported for uh, around 500 million. And so, it, again, it makes us ask the question, is it true that what goes up must come down? In other words, if you're successful, does it only last for a short time? Have you ever had one of those days that's so good that you're afraid to go to sleep because you just know something bad's got to happen tomorrow? You know, it's like the universe has to even this out. Well, here's the mystery that I want us to spend the next several minutes talking about. It's this question of success. Is it true that what goes up must come down? I put it like this, if you want to pull out that outline that you got when you came in. What is the mystery of success? I think this is it. It's how do you finish well? In, in other words, how do you finish at the top of your success, not at the bottom? How do you not just have an apex, you know? How do you not go up and then come back down? How do you finish well? And where I want us to go is to Moses. Moses, of course, wrote the first five books of the Bible. He led the people of God out of Egypt and to the edge of the promised land. And when you study the promised land, I mean, think about it. What do they call it? Canaan, the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. It is an incredible picture of success. And I don't know what success looks like for you. I don't know what comes into your mind. I don't know if it's starting a business, if it's some kind of financial breakthrough, if it's getting married, if it's raising incredible kids, if it's getting that promotion or winning the championship or just being happy. But if you desire to succeed in any of those areas, Moses is a great person to listen to because he takes the folks to the edge of the land of success. That's really what it's all about. The promised land is not heaven because there are giants in the promised land and there aren't any in uh, heaven. But when it comes to success, there are challenges. And so I think Moses is a great place to go. Here, here's the first thing I put in your outline is, is, first of all, the promise. Moses makes a promise for success. And we're going to study primarily in the book of Deuteronomy, because that's where you hear a lot of this story, chapter 6 and chapter 8, okay? Deuteronomy chapter 6 and chapter 8. Now, you can go home and read and study, because there's a lot more than we have time to talk about. But in chapter 6, listen to this promise for success. It says, the eternal, which of course is talking about your God. And then you might underline that next word, promised. Promised, that's important. God promised and he promised your ancestors Abraham Isaac and Jacob that he would give you this land and down through the centuries land has always been a picture of success the ability to own land to be your land to do with it what you want so he said God may, has made you a promise that he's going to take you into your success now when he brings you into this success you're going to have beautiful and spacious cities that you didn't build Verse 11, you'll have houses filled with good things waiting for you, cisterns to hold water, already dug out of the rock for you, vineyards and olive orchards that you, you didn't plant. You'll have all that you want to eat and more. 
And so really in this passage, there are three things that Moses says success encompasses. He says, first of all, you're going to go to these cities. And what do the cities represent? Well, they represent opportunity, right? Why do people move to the city? They move to the city for opportunity. Because in the city, there are greater options. There are greater uh, choices to be made. There are opportunities. Sometimes people are like, why don't I get any opportunities? Well, the, the reality is, is that so often opportunities all around us, we just don't, we don't see it. But he, not just opportunity, but also provision. He says there are going to be houses. He says there are going to be cisterns. And these are houses and cisterns that you didn't build, that, that you didn't carve out of the rocks. I'm going to provide that for you. And then he talks about vineyards and he talks about orchards, which were um, revenue or income, you might say. It was commerce. That's how they made money. So, so Moses says that success contains opportunities and God's uh, providing for us. And it also contains um, income, the ability to make resources. And he promises. He says, that's where you're going. Uh, God has promised to take you in to this land. Now, that's great for Moses and the people of God, but this is 2017. Do you and I have such a promise? Does God say anything to us when it comes to the idea of success? Or do we just have to deal with whatever comes? Well, there are lots of different passages that we can look at. We can look at Psalm 23 where David says, The Lord is my shepherd, therefore, if God is leading me, I have everything that that I need we can look at a passage we talk about quite a bit here Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11 the good news uh, or the contemporary English version says it like this I will bless you God speaking with a future that's awesome it's filled with hope all right but he doesn't stop there he says also a future of success not suffering and so the prophet Jeremiah we're going to look at uh, Jeremiah in a series coming up and Jeremiah says God's promise God has said that he wants you to succeed now Jesus himself said that in John 10 10 he said here's why I came here's why I put on skin and walked on planet earth that you might have life and that you might have it overflowing that you might have it more than enough rich and satisfying abundantly however you want to um, interpret that Greek word but those are the words of Jesus so you as a Christ follower, have a very similar promise to what God made to the people of God in the Old Testament. So if, if you and I, just like Moses, have this promise, it leads us to the next question. <laughs> when? Right? I mean, you're like, okay, Troy, God's promised that he's going to bring success or the opportunity for success. Well, I, I don't feel very successful however you would define that in your life. When, do, when does it happen? What's the timing of it? Because I'm ready. Well, Moses deals with this in chapter 8 of Deuteronomy. He says, now remember, God, remember the Lord your God who rescued you from the slavery in the land of Egypt. Now that, right, slavery is not a good thing. Being controlled is not a good thing. Not having any rights is not a good thing. But that's where the people of God were. Verse 15, he says, do not forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness. That's not, I don't want to go to any terrifying anything, do you? I mean, I'm, I'm reading this and I'm still not saying, oh, I want to be part of that. Right? He says, you were in slavery 
And then I, God intervenes. He takes you out of slavery, woo, through terrifying wilderness. And why was it terrifying? Partly because there were poisonous snakes. Now, how many of you, be honest, are afraid of snakes? Just raise your hand. I mean, I know it's not real, you know, he-man kind of thing to do. But I, I hate, I, I just hate snakes. I, 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 you know, I grew up in Arkansas. We had a lot of cotton mouths or, and where we used to live, I killed at least six different snakes. Now, I don't know if that's offensive to you, but I hold those suckers to death, okay? <laughs> I mean, I just, I, I, because I was afraid. I was afraid they were going to be poisonous. I, I couldn't tell. I remember Steph and I were sitting outside one night, and we're just kind of sitting there on the, you know, outside furniture talking, and all of a sudden she sees this snake just kind of underneath um, that piece of furniture. She puts her feet up, and, you know, I'm the hero to... Go get Carson and, and, uh, and the hoe to try to do something. He says that, that's where God took them. He took them through this terrifying place. And one of the reasons is there were poisonous snakes and poisonous scorpions. And then he says where it was hot and dry. I mean, again, this doesn't sound woo. Now, even in the midst of this challenge, he gave them water from the rock and he gave them manna to eat. Now... The manna wasn't anything that they truly enjoyed. Because if you read the context, the story of the people of God, they complained about the manna. They got sick of it. They didn't like it. it provided everything that they needed uh, when it came to nutrients. But, but they didn't like the way that it tasted. And then he goes on and he says, here's why I did it. He did this to humble you and to test you. So Moses says, when, is, when does this success come it comes after what testing he says God took you from slavery through this wilderness that was quite terrifying and it wasn't just like fear of shadows it was real poisonous snakes and scorpions it was hot and it was dry now God provided for you but you would have liked something other than water and you sure would have wanted something other than manna and why did God do that? To humble you, to test you. And he, he says, look back at the scripture, for your own good. So when does success come? It comes after the testing. Because it's through the testing that God does things in our lives that prepares us for the success that he wants to bring into our lives. Because God just doesn't want you to experience the task of success. In other words, God doesn't just want you to get married. He wants you to be able to enjoy that marriage. God doesn't want you to just start a business. God wants you to be able to have peace and to make a difference in that business. God doesn't want you to have some kind of financial breakthrough. God wants you to actually be able to enjoy and leverage and use the finances in which you uh, receive. Because there are so many folks who experience the task of success. In other words, whatever it is that you see as success, you see in their life. There's lots of places in this world where you can go. And they have the task of success, but they're not happy. And we don't understand, right? We always say, I can't believe they've got all this financial freedom and they've got all this opportunity. Or they have such a great family, I don't know why they left it. Or why they took their own life. Or why they found themselves addicted to some kind of substance. Right? We, we, we don't understand it. 
And God says, I don't want you just to experience the task of success. I want you to be able to enjoy. I want you to be able to have peace. And how does he do that? He takes us through a test. He takes us through challenge. He takes us through the wilderness. Now, realize they could have experienced success 40 years earlier, but they didn't learn. Remember, Moses took them to the edge of the Jordan River, and he said, hey, go over there and look. And they came back and said, whoa, it's successful. That's the business we've always wanted. That's the kind of marriage I've always dreamed of. That's the kind of financial freedom I thought, you know, I would never experience. But it's so hard. It's so difficult. And they wouldn't take the risk. They didn't learn the lesson. They didn't pass the test. And so they wondered for 40 years. And this is when Moses, at the end of his life, has brought them back around a whole new generation. And Joshua was going to take them in. And he's reminding them that they went through all for their own good. Not because God was mad. Not because they were being punished. But because they were being prepared. And the same is true in your life is that you may not like the manna that you're eating. You may not like the fact that it's only water that God is sustaining you with. But in reality, that is preparation for what God has promised. But God will not allow you and I to experience the very thing that we want, but that we're not ready for. And so when does success come, even though it's promised? Well, it comes after the testing. And then the very next thing you see in Deuteronomy chapter 8 is the fulfillment of this success. Look what he says. He says, but that is the time. When is the time? When you succeed. When you succeed, be careful. Well, we'll come back to that. For when you have become full and prosperous and you've built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and your herds, your business basically is what he's saying, has become very large. Your silver and gold is multiplied along with everything else. He says it again, be careful. And so he describes, and I think you'd have to agree, however it is that you define success, that this is a, a good picture of success becoming full and prosperous. But before it and after it, he says, be careful, which is really quite in interesting. And I believe this is why we have come to this ministry, a uh, mystery, is because success is seductive. Success can seduce. And whether that success be a great marriage or graduating college or getting the promotion or getting a raise or becoming the athletic champion, however it is you want to define success, it is seductive. So let's look at the seductiveness of success. Let's look at what Moses was saying we need to be careful of. It's in chapter 8, verse number 11. He says, but that is the time to be careful. So again, he refers back and he says, beware. When is the time? When you succeed. When you get married. When you get the raise. When you start the business. When you graduate. When you have the children. When you get healthy. But that is the time to be careful. Beware. Do not become what? What's it say? Do not become what? Yeah, proud. And don't you take a deep, like, just like, <sighs> I'd never be proudful. I know where I came from. I remember my beginnings. 
Right? Isn't that the tendency of all of us? I remember what it was like to be alone. I'm, I'll never be prideful of the marriage I have. I remember what it was like to struggle to pay the bills. I'll never be prideful about the resources I have. I remember what it is to have to punch a clock. I'll never be prideful about owning my own. But then he describes what this pride looks like. He says, do not become proud and forget the Lord your God. So what does pride look like? It looks like forgetting. He says, do not become prideful and forget the Lord your God. Never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth. And you could replace wealth with however you define success. I have achieved this marriage. I have achieved, achieved this graduation with my own strength and energy. Verse 18, remember, remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you the power to be what? successful and again replace that with however you define success remember he is the one who gives you the power to have a great marriage he is the one that gives you the power to raise great kids he is the one that gives you the power to have financial freedom he is the one that gives you the power to start that business he is the one that gives you the power to win that championship now that's interesting right because we tend to think that the danger is on the other side we tend to believe that the danger is when you lose your job. That, that the danger is when the doctor gives you bad news. The, the danger is when you fail, not when you succeed. But Moses says, no, no, no. He says the danger is not in losing the job. The danger is when you get the job. The danger is not when someone else gets the promotion. The danger is when you get the promotion. The danger is not when you're healthy, uh, or when you're sick, the danger is when you're healthy. It's not when you strike out, it's when you hit the home run. And if you think about it, that's true, isn't it? When are we most tempted to forget the Lord? I mean, well, let me ask it to you this way. It's a cold, rainy weekend. Let me ask you, who's most likely to not be here today? Is it the person who got bad news from the doctor that they saw something on the scan or the person who's been healthy all their life? Who's most likely not to be here? The person who got the raise and has money in their pocket that they're dying to spend or the person who have lost their job and has no hope unless something extraordinary happens? See, the reality is is that it's much easier for us to acknowledge that we can't when we're in the, in the midst of not being able to. It's a lot easier to be faithful to God's house when you know there's no way to pay your bills unless something extraordinary happens. There's no way to overcome stage four cancer unless God steps in and does something. There's no way to begin that business or to get it off the ground unless something from the outside extraordinarily happens. And in those moments, we are faithful and we are consistent. But when you've never been sick, is it really that important to be here? When you've got a good job, when you can pay the bills, maybe buy a boat, maybe an extra set of golf clubs. I mean, that's exactly what Moses is saying, is it's seductive. We don't see that as prideful. We don't see that as something destructive, but he goes on. Look what he says in verse 19. But I assure you, Moses is saying, beware, be careful in whatever level of success you have already attained. 
This is how this works. This is how seductive this is. We're not talking about billionaires. We're talking about you and me. You got paid this week. You ate this week. In other words, you have had some level of success this week. And what Moses is saying is in that success, be careful. Because you and I will start to believe that the success that I have attained, I did within my own strength. And he says in verse 19 that when I do that, be assured of this, Moses said. Because you know why Moses knew? Because Moses has experienced this. If you ever forget the Lord your God, you will certainly be destroyed. The wisdom writer says in Proverbs 16, 18, first pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder it, they fall. You might have heard it like this in Proverbs 16, 18. Pride comes before the fall. But pride is so seductive, we seldom see it. So I was trying to think, how do I describe the seductiveness uh, of this uh, prideful success? And there's a, a passage of scripture in Proverbs chapter 7 that I think describes it quite well. Now, I, I'm going to read several verses here, so I ask you to stay mentally connected with me. But I want you to, to think about just the seductiveness of how success works in your life and in mine. Look at what it says. Proverbs chapter 7, verse 6. This is on the, on, uh, it says, One day I was at the window of my house, looking through my lattice shutters. And there among the usual crowd of gullible people, I spotted a naive young man. And isn't that the way you and I are when it comes to pride? You and I would quickly say, I would never be prideful. I know how much I had to sacrifice. I know the price for which I had to pay. I know from where I have come. I would never be prideful because I, I, I remember. He was going down the street near the corner where she lived, the mysterious and evil woman where pride lived, taking the road that led directly to her house. At the end of the day, as night approached and darkness crept in, I saw her. A woman came out to meet him, pride, ego, arrogance. She was dressed for temptation and devious with her affections. You're special. You're an exception. I mean, you, you've worked harder than most people. Your success is the result of the fact that you got up before most people did. And you stayed at work longer than most people did. You deserve it. Here's what I know about her. She's loud, obnoxious, a rebel against what is proper and decent. Pride is always on the move, anxious to get out of the house and down the street, and at times right out in the open, at others lurking around every corner. As I am watching them, she grabs him and kisses him, and then she shamelessly tells him, I really want to be with you. And what luck I have found you who are special, you who deserve it, you who have earned it. You'll be impressed. I've decorated my couch. I've laid, I've laid colorful Egyptian linens over where we will be together. I perfumed the, perfumed the bed with exotic oils and herbs, myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come in, and we will feast on our love until sunshine. We will delight ourselves in the affections and 
You don't need to worry. Truth is, 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 is not here. You don't need to, to worry. You're just confident. You just know what it takes. My husband, Truth, is long gone by now. Away from home on a distant journey. He took a bag of money with him, so I, I don't expect him home until next month to work. She enticed him with those seductive words, with those, you deserve it, you work harder, you've earned it. If they would have done what you have done, they would be where you are. She seduced him with her smooth talk. Right away, he followed her home. He followed her like a bull being led to the slaughter, like a fool being caught in a trap. Success is seductive. And I, I don't want to just give you what Moses said. I, I want to give you real quickly, uh, end with a case study. In other words, an example in Scripture where we see what Moses said actually being lived out in the life of an individual. I want us to look at Uzziah. Uzziah was the king of Judah. His story is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verses 1 through 15. Look at what it says. It says, all the people of Judah had crowned Amaziah's 16-year-old son. He was only 16 years old. Uzziah, he's king to replace his father. During his reign, he recaptured the port city of Eloth for Judah, bringing economic growth. That's awesome to the nation. He reigned for 52 years. That's pretty impressive. Verse 5, while Zechariah the seer, the word seer there means pastor, prophet, teacher. While Zechariah the, the teacher or the pastor was alive, Uzziah followed the true God, listening to the pastor Zechariah's messages from God. And the true God blessed the king in battles, in building, in wealth, as long as he was obedient. The Ammonites paid tribute to Uzziah. His political strength was infamous all the way up to the border of one of the most powerful nations in the world at that time, Egypt. Because of his impressive army, many of the surrounding nations knew about Uzziah, and God helped him win battles. Now, I don't think it matters how you define success. This is a picture of success. He's only 16, and he's done what men decades older than him were unable to do. He's brought economic growth, he's brought peace, he's brought power, he's brought victories. And 2 Chronicles not only tells us that Uzziah was successful, it tells us how. In verse number 5, it says that Uzziah followed the true God, listening to Zechariah, the prophet's messages, and the true God blessed him. Incredible story, right? The story we want all to live. We want to go up. We want to have that marriage. We want to have that financial freedom. We want to believe that God's promises can actually be true for us. And we want to live it, not just read about it. But Uzziah's story doesn't end there. In the very next verse, verse 16, it says, But when Uzziah had built his army, and he no longer thought... That he needed God's help. He became prideful and, circle both of these, corrupt. He was unfaithful to the eternal God, his true God. And what did he do? He entered the temple to burn incense on the altar. Azariah, the priest, and 80 other brave priests of God followed the king into the temple to stop him 
Look in verse 18. Uzziah, you can't do this. Only the priests, the sons of Aaron, have been consecrated for this action. Leave the temple. You've sinned, and you're no longer going to be blessed by God, the true God. How did Uzziah respond? Uzziah was furious at the priest. He was furious at the priest for forbidding him, the king, to do something. How could you tell the king as he stood next to the incense altar in the temple, holding his censer, the king's forehead erupted with leprosy, a skin disease. Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests saw how God had struck the king with leprosy on his forehead. Uzziah rushed for the door. The priest hurried him out because the disease made him ritually unclean and unable to approach the temple. For the rest of his life, King Uzziah was cursed with leprosy. So he was banned from the temple, and he lived alone, away from society. When Uzziah died, he was buried with his ancestors. His grave was in a nearby burial field belonging to the kings. For the people said, and if you would, read those next three words out loud with me at all of our campuses. He had, one more time, he, isn't that sad? It doesn't say, they don't remember that he, at the age of 16 he brought economic growth. They don't remember that he was a, a powerful king that extended their kingdom. They don't remember him as someone who overcame their enemies. How do they remember him? They remember him by the fact that what went up came down. He had leprosy. There was an apex to his life. And then there was a crash. I think there are two options that this case study teaches us when it comes to success and you've had some level of success already hoping to have more so how will you respond well Moses tells us the first way in which we are supposed to respond is that we should respond to our success with praise look what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 listen to O Israel Remember, he's telling them, you're about to go into your success. You're about to experience everything God has promised. The Lord is our God, and it is him alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Praise. How do we respond to the success that we have already experienced in order that we might position ourselves to experience even greater success in the future. It is with praise. But praise is not how high do you raise your hands during the worship moments. Praise is not whether or not you write in your journal that you're thankful for the marriage that you have. That's not what Moses says. Moses says that praise is revealed in our priority. That praise is about priority. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. See, and it's so good for Moses to do this for us because we so often, just like Proverbs 7 said, are naive to the pride in our lives. Because we raise our hands high during worship. We shed a tear when we sing about how great God is. We write in our journals that we're thankful that God has protected our children. But Moses says that it goes further than that. That praise is about priority. 
And so if we get real practical with what does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, what is he talking about? He's talking about our time, our relationships, our resources, our gifts, our talents, and our decisions. In other words, Moses says that we are to praise God, which is to give him priority of our time, priority of our resources, priority of our talent, priority of our gifts, priority in our decision-making. And that's real easy to evaluate, isn't it? I mean, we can all look into our calendar and determine what kind of priority God has. We can all look at our checkbook and determine what kind of priority God has. We can all look at our gifts and our talents, the things that we get paid to do, and determine whether or not we're doing those things to further the kingdom. I mean, it's easy to evaluate. The temptation, I think you would agree, is, is to want to wait until we have greater success. The temptation is to believe that when we have bigger success, we'll, 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 we'll give him that priority. Moses says that we should respond with praise. But watch out, be careful. The tendency is to respond in pride. What is pride? You did it. You deserve it. So rather than give him our heart and our soul and our strength, it is my heart, my soul, my strength. In other words, it's my money, it's my time, it's my relationships, and it's my decision-making. It's mine. Now, I'm thankful for the story of Uzziah because I don't want to be that naive, that naive person that allows themselves to be seduced by success. And I do want to succeed. I want to be a good husband. I want to be a, a good father. I want to be a good pastor. I want to be a good leader. I want to impact my world. I want to have financial freedom. I want to have success. And I think Uzziah shows us that there are two signs to, to, the, to, to the fact that I'm being seduced. The first one, I think, is when you and I begin to believe that I deserve it. I, I, and this is the way it plays out. I begin to believe that I am unique. I am the excep exception. And I don't make bad decisions. Think about it. Uzziah goes into the temple to do what he knew he wasn't. So he breaks the rules. Remember what it said about Uzziah? In the very, it said he became prideful and what was that next word? Corrupt. Well, how does corruption happen? See, we, we like to think, well, it's bad people that are corrupt. No, corruption happens when you and I start to believe that we are the exception to the rule, just like Uzziah. Uzziah didn't think that he was bad. He thought that he had brought economic freedom. He thought that he had fought off the enemy. And God surely understood that he had a right to do, uh, to light that incense when he had done so much more than the priests who were doing it. And I think it's very easy for me and it's very easy for you to do these very same kind of things where we start to believe that I am the exception. How do we do it? How do we do it? We say, um, you know, I can read that. I can watch that movie. I can go to that website. Why? Because it doesn't affect me. Now, I know that there are people who are addicted to pornography. And I know that, it, that, that, that those kind of things have helped destroy marriages and have ruined lives, but that's not me. Why? I got a great marriage. I'm the exception. I'm different than you people. We go on business trips and we do things on those trips, but we're just, we're just, just enjoying the attention. 
I mean, I'd never do anything. <laughs> I mean, I love my wife. love my husband. I got great kids. Why do we think that we can do the very things that have destroyed others and not destroy ourselves? Because just like Uzziah, we get seduced into believing that the good marriage we have is the result of me. And since it is the result of me, there's no way in the world that me can make a bad decision concerning my marriage. So I can watch that. I can go there. I can have that relationship. I can listen to that person. And it will not affect my marriage or affect my business. It's so seductive. And God says that when you do that, when you forget that the good marriage you have is not because you are special. It's not because you're so wise. It's not because you've made such great sacrifices. It is because I, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, have given it to you. And we do the same thing spiritually, don't we? I mean, think about it. What are the two things that God calls us to do together as, as the church? To give and to serve. And, and this, is what I wrote, this is the way I wrote it down. Here's the, way, here's the way we think about it. We say things like this. I don't have the money or I don't have the time when asked to give or to ask to serve, right? Isn't that what we say? Well, I, I, it's not that I don't want to. It's just I don't have the money. Or, you know what, I just don't have the time because my success depends upon me. And if I do what God wants, I won't succeed. That's what we are saying. No, I can't give. Why? Because my success depends upon me. And if I give away that which I have, then I won't have enough to succeed. And so I, right, I, oh, I can't volunteer for that. Because i got to do A, B, and C if I want to succeed at home and at work and blah, 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 blah. In other words, what are we doing? We're taking ownership for our success. And we tell God that once I succeed, then I will give him priority. And what does God say? He says, when you forget me, then you'll do it on your own. You'll face the economy on your own. And you'll take care of your family on your own. And you'll take care of your health on your own. And you'll deal with evil on your own. Because that's what you and I are declaring we want. It's so seductive. It's not fair how easy it is for you and I, who truly do love God, who truly do want to serve him, for us to walk into our own pride. Last one. We know it when we start to think that we deserve it, we've earned it. And then what else did Uzziah do? He, he didn't listen to rebuke. Remember what 80, 80 priests came in and they said, Uzziah, what are you doing? And what did Uzziah, how did he respond? He didn't repent. He got mad. He said, who do you think you are? I'm the king. And I would just ask you, how do you respond when you are challenged by God's people or God's pastor or God's word? Do you ignore it? Do you excuse it? You get angry and try to talk it down or talk it away? Or do you humble yourself? What does it mean to humble? It means simply to surrender. To say, you know what, God, I know I cannot succeed without you. And I want you to be priority. And you have brought somebody into my life to speak into my life so that I can reposition myself so that you can bring me the success for which I was created. 
And so rather than run from those people or condemn those people or get mad at those people as Uzziah did, I want to humble myself. So here's my question. What is God, through his word, through his people, through his preacher, been challenging you and me to do and we just won't do it? Is it to trust him with his, your eternity? Make him the Lord, the master, the CEO of your life? This is to trust him with your time and your money and to be generous in serving. Is it, to, is it to trust him with your decisions and to follow him? I don't know. But I do know this. You and me were created on purpose by God to succeed. And just to make sure that you would succeed, he put on skin, came down to planet Earth, and stomped on the head of the enemy so that there was nothing that could keep you and me from the success that we were created for. And so the only way we go up and come down is if we become seduced by that very success. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that we were created to succeed. I pray that we have been encouraged by these texts. I pray that we have been reminded that we can succeed. That we don't have to be overwhelmed by all that's happening within this world. You are God. And that you have given us the power to surrender to you, to have great marriages or to be great parents or to graduate from college or to start that business or whatever it is that you, God, have put on our hearts and in our lives. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for being here today. I know it wasn't an easy day to come to church. It's an easy day to sleep in. And, and I hope you, I, I hope that the challenge has been encouraging because it's given you a path to success. I'm going to ask our ushers to come. We're going to have an opportunity to give. There are envelopes in the chairs in front of you. And um, I encourage you as I do each weekend, trust him, follow him, and be generous. And see, see what he does in your life. See if his word is true. Let's bow our heads. Father, this is that moment where we surrender to you. At times, the most challenging thing to do. But your word says that you'll meet the financial needs that are in this room if we'll trust you, if we'll follow you. You are our shepherd. We have everything that we need. May we experience that. May we share that. May we live that your glory in Jesus name.